Well, good evening. It's so tempting to say good morning. <clears throat> but that's not the time of day it is, I don't think. Uh, Kristen has already read our, uh, our passage for tonight. Um, but as, I, as I've been reflecting on the weekend and wrapping up our sermon series through the book of Mark, you know, the one thing about the, the Easter messages, uh, you know, Good Friday, um, Easter Sunday, you know, Christmas Eve is like this, you know, when we do Advent and, and all of those things, Jesus coming to earth, you know, the comfort here and uh, being a preacher at these, at the, in these services, in these moments, is that the message doesn't change. Like if you've been to a gospel preaching church on a Good Friday, you've heard the message, hopefully, right, that we're going to preach and that we're going to share tonight. And so the temptation, the temptation is as I prayed, right, for me, for you, for all of us, for allow this, for allow, to allow this to become routine, for, to allow this to become, uh, you know, we, we know that, right? But I'm praying tonight that, that this message hits you like it hasn't hit you in a few years. That Jesus came, gives us access to God, that we might be called His beloved. And so there's different parts of the story that we point out, I think year after year after year. But uh, I want to start by sharing this with you. There's a guy by the name of Cecil Rhodes who devoted his life to British expansion in South Africa, plus including making a fortune in diamonds. It's not bad, right? He wasn't 50 years old when he died, and his last words were these, so little done, so much to do. Quite in contrast to that, we see in John chapter 17, verse 4, where Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, unbelievable prayer, where Jesus says, I've glorified you on earth. And, and now, granted, I mean, at this time, Jesus is about 33 years old. I've glorified you on earth, Jesus said to his father. I've finished the work that you gave me to do. What a report to be able to give at the end of a life's journey, Amen. That I've completed the work. I've finished the work you gave me to do. I've finished the work you gave me to do. To know that we have accomplished what he gave us to do. When it comes to the death of Jesus in Mark chapter 15, again, that's already been read for us. And so I'm going to go back and kind of highlight bits and pieces of it for us. Three specific hours are mentioned. I don't know if you caught that. Three specific hours are mentioned. The third hour is mentioned in verse 25. The sixth hour very quickly is mentioned in, in verse 33 that it was dark from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. And then the ninth hour that is talked about in verses 33 and 34. So, fun fact for you. You guys up for a fun fact on a Friday night? Okay, fun fact for you. The Jews calculated time from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., Right? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, to have that 12-hour, okay, right? They calculated, they calculated time from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So this means that when, when the Scripture says in Mark 15, the third hour, what it really means is 9 a.m. When they talk about the sixth hour, they're talking about noontime, which is even more fascinating if you think about it, that the darkness fell at the sixth hour. It's noontime. And then the ninth hour would have been 
3 p.m. So let's talk about what's happening at each one of these hours. The third hour is where I want to start, verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. We're going to talk about that in just a second. They crucified him, divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each would take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. So let's start back at 21. According to law, the guilty victim would have had to carry their own cross. They would have had to carry their own cross. Or at least the cross beam, right? We brought the cross over from the church. At least the cross beam, the part where his, his, his hands would have been nailed uh, to the cross. So at least the cross beam to the place of execution. And for Jesus... Was, he was no exception to the rule. He was no exception to the law. He left Pilate's hall bearing his cross. But he had been beaten so badly that he couldn't continue. And so the soldiers picked Simon of Cyrene out of the crowd to carry the cross for him. And when you consider what had gone into this, and when you consider what Jesus had dealt with up until this point, it isn't surprising that his strength failed. Granted, and this is one of the most common arguments that skeptics like to use when it comes to the crucifixion, right? He could have called 10,000 angels, come and got him out of the situation just like that. Well, why didn't he? Because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And you know what the joy was that was set before him? It was you, it was me. I know, it's hard to believe, right? But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels, yet he willingly bore the suffering on our behalf because there was a higher purpose behind this act. The victim carried the cross because he had been found guilty, but Jesus wasn't guilty. We're the guilty ones. And Simon carried that cross on our behalf. That's why this is so significant that Simon of Cyrene was picked out of the crowd, right? And you think about Simon Peter, who said that he would go with Jesus to prison. He would go with Jesus to death. But it was Simon of Cyrene who came to the help of Jesus at that point. None of the gospel writers, as we think about Good Friday, give us a description of the crucifixion. Nor is one necessary. Their aim, the gospel writers, as they're telling the story, it's not, their, their aim is not pity. Their aim is to assure our faith. The aim of the gospel writers is to assure the faith of believers for that time and for today. Crucifixion was such a detestable thing that it wasn't mentioned in decent society. One of the most horrible forms of death ever devised by man. So that's the third hour. We see Simon of Cyrene, a picture of you, a picture of me, a picture of us, the guilty ones, carrying the cross on behalf of Jesus. 
on behalf of Jesus. The second hour that's mentioned is the sixth hour, right? And so just pop quiz for you, what time would it have been? No, oh man, awesome, snaps, good job. Good job, you're paying attention. At noon, a miraculous darkness came over all the land. Look at verse 33. Look at verse 33 there. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. All creation, all creation sympathized as Jesus suffered on that cross. Now, this was a miracle, not some natural phenomenon. And by means of this darkness, God was saying something to the people. I mean, we even see the testimony at the end of this by all of these things happening. The darkness, the veil that's torn that we're going to get to in the ninth hour. All of these things happening right, led to someone proclaiming this indeed was the king of the Jews. And so all of these things had a purpose, not some natural phenomenon, because God was saying something to the people. The Jews would have immediately thought, in this moment, because they were Old Testament scholars, they would immediately have thought about the first Passover as the ninth plague in the first Passover in Egypt was a three-day darkness. Here they have a three-hour darkness. A three-day darkness followed by the last plague which was the death of the firstborn. So the darkness at Calvary was an announcement that God's firstborn, beloved son, Jesus, was giving his life for the sins of the world. And it was also an announcement that judgment was coming. So we see Simon of Cyrene, the significance in the third hour that he carries the cross on our behalf and and for Jesus, when Jesus couldn't carry it any longer, we see the sixth hour, the darkness, symbolizing Jesus, the beloved, firstborn Son of God. And then we get to the ninth hour. Look at verses 34 through 39 again with me. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, cried with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Kristen did a great job reading that, that, that right there, so I'm just going to let her, I'm just going to let that ring true to you, okay? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him. Down And Jesus uttered with a loud cry, breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, he proclaimed truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, Jesus made seven statements from the cross. Seven statements from the cross. Three of them before the darkness came. Father, forgive them, for they, know not what the, uh, for they know not what they do. Today you will be with me in paradise, as he looked on a man next to him. And woman, behold your son. And son, behold your mother. When the darkness came, there was silence on the cross. For it was then that he was made sin for us. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so at the ninth hour, Jesus expressed the agony of his soul when he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Then he goes on to say, I thirst. I thirst. And the, and the kind act of the soldier in giving Jesus a sip of, of sour wine assisted him in uttering two more statements. It is finished. And then lastly, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus wasn't murdered. He willingly laid down his life for us. He wasn't a martyr. He was, willing, he was a willing sacrifice for the sins of the world. And then we see those two events that occurred at his death. There was an earthquake. The veil of the temple was torn in two. Why is that significant? Because the veil had separated man from God all the way up until now. But now, through his death, Jesus had opened a new way and living way for the whole world to have access to God. There was no more ceremonial washings. There was no more high priests that had to go before God in the Ark of the Covenant on your behalf. There was no more. Jesus, the living God, had come and paid the debt that we could not pay so that, and don't miss this, hint, hint, spoiler alert for Sunday, we could have access to God. There's hope in that. And it's touching, isn't it? I mean, if, 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 you, if you read on there, it's touching. There were also women in verse 40 looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger of, and, and so on and so on. It's touching to see that, the, that these women stood near the cross until the very end. John had also been there, but he had taken Mary to his home where he could care for her. After the, after the day's events and the days leading up to these events, so that he could care for her. And so tonight, as we do often on Good Friday, I remember two years ago, standing in my garage on Good Friday, watching myself on a screen awkward as we led into communion so a couple, couple housekeeping things before I, I land the plane here with the message tonight uh, we have communion elements back there uh, at Summit Church we practice an open communion which means if you're a believer in Jesus we welcome you at our table uh, parents we ask you to use your discretion uh, with kiddos uh, and, we, and we trust you in that. And we also trust uh, all of you with these cups and this beautiful auditorium. But as we walk into communion, I was moved by an excerpt and a message by a guy by the name of Alistair Begg. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's fun to listen to. He has an English accent, so like, you could just listen to him for hours. And he preaches for hours. He preaches for hours. But as we walk into communion tonight, I wanted to read this from his message. Without the preaching of the cross, without the preaching of the cross to ourselves, all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground for our salvation. So to go to the old 
question. If you were to die tonight and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answered that question, if you were to die tonight, getting entry into heaven, respond to that in any way in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. If we respond because I, because I believe, because I have faith, because I am this, because I'm continuing, loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross that would have been next to Jesus, one of the last, one of, the last of the seven lines that he, that he utters from the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Alistair Beck says, I can't wait to find the fellow one day and ask him, how'd that shake out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend, you've never been in a Bible study, you've never been baptized, you didn't know a thing about church membership, you didn't know whether women could preach or not, and yet you made it. How'd you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know. As he walks into heaven, angel looks at him and says, what are you doing here? Thief on the cross, I don't know. I mean, think about this picture. And just imagine, I'm sharing it with an English accent. I thought about having Serapino <laughs> come read this for you because it would make it a lot more authentic. Angel looks back at him, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Let me, let me get my supervisor they, got, they go get their supervisor, angels. So just a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy that looked at back and said, I've never heard of that in my life. Okay, well, let's cut to the chase. What about the doctrine of Scripture? The thief on the cross just staring. And eventually, in frustration, this supervisor angel says, on what basis are you here? And he looked back at the angel and said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That just gets me every time. That's why we gather on the most beautiful day in 2022 in an auditorium on a Friday night when as Dylan said, you could be anywhere else. Because the guy on the middle cross told me to come. That is the only answer. It's the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day, every day, if you don't preach the gospel to yourself all day, every day, then we will find ourselves beginning to trust ourselves, to trust our experience, to trust our preferences, which is a part of my fallenness as a man and yours as a man and woman. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends on me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to object, despair, or a horrible kind of arrogance. Last paragraph. It's powerful. 
Next Good Friday, maybe we'll just show his message on the screen. It is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out. And I'm doing wonderfully well. No. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. That's why Martin Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you. In this sense that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions. But we're saved as a result of what Jesus has achieved. We're saved as a result of what Jesus has achieved. One of the biggest enemies to salvation today, and you've heard me talk about this if you've been around here for more than five minutes, you, you know I believe this wholeheartedly, that we've become our own Savior. And, he, and, 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 and Pastor Beck, he, he addresses that here, right? The pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know what? I can figure this out. I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. Jesus, go deal with all of them. Right? Like they, they, they need some help. But I've got, I can figure this out. I'm doing wonderfully well. But Good Friday to me is the reminder of the links that God went through to send Jesus so that I could be called a beloved son. No matter, no matter how you're walking in here, limping in here, running in here, jumping in here, doing cartwheels in here, no, no, matter, no matter how you walk into this place, no matter how, how you walk into a Good Friday service, some of you got dragged in here, right? And so as Dylan and I, as Dylan and I have said, there's anywhere you could be, you're, you've been under your breath, yep. And the person that dragged you in here has been rolling their eyes. Saying, don't worry, we're going. Once he shuts up, we're going, okay? Right? It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how you were brought in here, willingly, unwillingly, limping, running, it do- doesn't matter. This happened because he loves you. This happened because you were on his mind. That guy. Cecil that, 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 uh, that talked about so little accomplished in contrast to Jesus in that high priestly prayer in John 17. What moves me so much about that prayer in John 17 is that he prays for his disciples in the first five verses and then 6 through 17 he prays for himself and then I think it's verses 18 through 23. You can go check that. Um, verse, uh, he prays for all of those who would believe. 
That takes, that takes, it, that takes my belovedness to a whole nother level, Don. Because, because if I believe in Jesus, if I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior, right? If I've given my life to Christ, that means that I was on the mind of Christ on His way to the cross. I don't care who you are. That's powerful. That's humbling. That's humbling. And so, as we move into communion tonight, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. The night that Jesus had this meal with His disciples, you could peel back that top layer and get that piece of what they call bread and these things. Now, now this would have happened, this Last Supper, right? It would have happened last night. That's, that's the Maundy Thursday. That's the significance of that. Where Jesus would have shared this meal with His disciples in the upper room. And Jesus took the bread and He broke it. Saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my body broken for you. I want, you to, I want you to just take that wafer in your hand. Just break it like I just did. Just break it. The symbolism there that He was broken for you. When I, think about, when I think about Jesus being the bread of life, I think about sustainer. When I'm weak, He is strong. In fact, in my weakness, He's made strong. And so God, tonight, as we gather and as we look back, on the sacrifice of Your Son, as we just said a few moments ago, that became sin who knew no sin so that we might become, so that we might be counted righteous in Your eyes. So that we might be counted worthy in Your eyes no matter what. God, we're going we're to talk about Peter on Sunday when, when Jesus arose and said, go tell the disciples and Peter what a picture of grace. Even Peter who denied Him in the most pivotal moments we don't know loneliness like that loneliness. It's called beloved. You provided for Him the same love, the same grace, the same forgiveness that I pray we are awed and moved by tonight. So I thank You for Your body bread of life, sustainer. In Jesus' name, God bless you as you eat. And peel back the juice. Jesus took the cup. supper room, knowing what's coming, that he's going to be beaten beyond recognition. Can you imagine just holding a cup.
still work to be done in your soul. But I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. What a sacrifice. When I hold this cup in my hand,